Welcome to Looking at Lucasfilm, the podcast with a different perspective on the world of Star Wars, Indiana Jones, and all of the other entities that George Lucas, Kathleen Kennedy, and the rest of the team at Lucasfilm have dreamed up over the past 40 years. I'm entertainment writer Jim Hill, and my co-host, the one, the only, Dan Z, and I are recording this on Wednesday, April 1st. So, how long at this point have you have you been working from home, Dan? Uh, well, this is uh, midway through the third week. Um Although last week, to be fair, was our spring break. But yeah, we've been doing remote or distance learning um, for uh, two of the three last weeks, for sure. And I I, I have to ask, you know, have you and your students, or for that matter, you and your family settled into routine yet? We have. We've been quite uh, vigilant about that because we know how important that is psychologically, especially for the kids. So we, we try to get up at our normal-ish times. We uh, uh, have like certain schedules that our six-year-old follows every half hour. He has something different that he does. Uh, Deanna, my wife, and I have to work from home from 9 o'clock to 2.30 every single day, and that involves meetings. That involves um, conferencing with students uh, you know, electronically, grading papers, creating assignments, and even trying to figure out electronic ways to do lecturing. So it's really interesting. I mean, it's, it's certainly quite different from anything I have done as an educator. Mm-hmm. But I also kind of like that challenge in still finding ways to engage students, even though I'm not in the same classroom or in the same room with them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I mean, you know, and again, I, I, I love your attitude and, you know, you you know, seeing this as a challenge rather than a burden, you know, yes. but uh, let's be honest, though, that, that you know, uh, this pandemic, you know, has had some pretty significant impact. In fact, just this week or, or in the last couple of days, it impacted the um, the Star Wars community. Now, I, 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 I don't know if you've seen the story yet, Dan, about Andrew Jack. Uh, yes, I had. OK, so very sad. Uh, can, can you explain to, to folks who, who uh, Andrew, what, oh, for that matter, I, I guess the character that he played in uh, Episode 8, The Last Jedi, the, uh, General Kowloon Emad, if I got the name right? Or? Right, and he's also in The, the Force Awakens as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, he. I feel like J.J. uses him in a lot of stuff, but he, he was um, he's one of, the, one of the heads of the Resistance, Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and I know he's, uh, he's on the recon. You know, he's the one in the last Jedi at the end of the battle of crate that walks up and kind of steps out, out of the trench to kind of look around and use his micro binoculars to stare out into the distance and catch the first order as they're getting ready to invade the old rebel base. He's got, he's, he's kind of known for that striking long, uh, nice, beautiful gray hair and the beard. And, uh, seemed to be, he's also a dialect coach too, a, um, by all accounts, a great guy. Yeah, and and but here's the thing, folks. We we lost Jack uh, yesterday, Tuesday, March 31st. Uh, he, he passed away in a hospital in Surrey as, as a result of a coronavirus. He was 76. And um, quick message to the Star Wars fans, especially the younger ones. And I say this is a 61-year-old man, supposedly somebody who's a prime target for this pandemic. I have a pre-existing condition of diabetes. But look, I've been practicing social distancing to 2003. That's when I basically began working from home doing this internet podcasting thing. So, you know, I'm probably going to be okay. But 
Whereas somebody like Andrew Jack, I mean, this is a guy who reportedly lived on one of the oldest working houseboats on the Thames, all right, and which, which sounds on the face of it pretty isolated. But he still somehow managed to catch the coronavirus. And, and this is the thing. He was originally diagnosed, Dan, with COVID-19 on Sunday, uh, you know, the 29th. And by the 31st, he was gone. And it's, it's unbelievable. It's just it's just kind of a stunner, really. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so folks, it's again, not to be downbeat, but this really isn't a time to be playing around. You, the, the, you need to take this stuff seriously, practice social distancing. Better yet, just stay home where you can then do things like listen to Coffee with Kenobi. I, you well, know, there just, you go. <laughs> or the Jim Hill Media Network. Uh, I said productive ways to spend your time, Dan. You know, yes. just, you know, not that crud. Uh, on the other hand, you could you could also watch Star Wars Episode Nine: The Rise of Skywalker. That J.J. Abrams film just became available on Blu-ray and DVD uh, yesterday. Uh, okay, so you're you're not supposed to leave the house unless you're running an essential errand like grocery shopping, but. Uh, maybe you're like me. Maybe you do the bulk of your grocery shopping at Target. Uh, I guess you could pick up the Target exclusive version of Skywalker, which is what supposed to be a four disc set and come with a gallery book. Um, mm-hmm. You know, again, I, I know you have an association from your very cool commercial, Dan, with, with Target. Uh, but I'm, I'm a, a, a flinty New Englander when I see something that's $34 and 99 cents, <laughs> my sales resistance kicks in. Um, did, did, did I, I have to ask if any of our listeners actually got this, which I guess comes with the, the 4k, uh, ultra high definition version of the concluding capture of the Skywalker saga. I'm just wondering if somebody could tell us whether or not that disc and the gallery book was was worth the extra fee um yeah so i'd like to know that as well and and i for some reason in the back of my mind i'm thinking that that gallery book is uh excerpts from uh the art of the rise of skywalker book but i can't officially confirm that but i, I thought i thought that's what they had said in an original press release i'm not sure i would love to know if it's worth that extra price as well and if this one the target one has an extra bonus feature that the others don't have yeah, now, now speaking of what you just mentioned, uh, the art of Star Wars, uh, Star Wars Rise of Skywalker, which also uh, finally went on sale after you know a considerable delay uh, on Tuesday, March thirty uh, first, and uh, this was written by Phil Sostak, who handled the tech side of uh, art of uh, Star Wars: The Force Awakens, art of Star Wars: The Last Jedi, and the art of Solo, a Star Wars story. Um, now, let's see, as I understand it, now, you, you've been sent sort of an advanced copy of it. Have you paged through it, Dan? Or? I have, and it is gorgeous. I mean, the art is, of course, it's, it's absolutely stunning. There's some wonderful behind-the-scenes stuff, some discussions about the evolution of the characters, how they almost took Kylo Ren's helmet or mask from the rise of Skywalker and made it look not necessarily like Vader, but certainly influenced by Vader, especially some of the things on the sides. And there's a great stars.com post about that. That came up recently as well, but you're going to love it. You're going to be limited. I'm not going to say it's as good as the art of onward because that is written by the beloved family friendly drew Taylor, (laughs) but it is really, really good. 
Okay, well, as long as we're we're we're, we're inserting plugs for family members, I, I, I guess I should note that you know if you're <laughs> to order uh, the the art of of uh, Star Wars: The Rise of Skywalker, which by the way Amazon has on sale right now, thirty percent off. Uh, you know that that you may need to put a little extra money in the kitty to get you know, free shipping. So why not pre-order your copy of the Star Wars book, Expand Your Knowledge of a Galaxy Far, Far Away, which also just by accident happens to be written by, you know, by Dan Z along with uh, Pablo Hildago and oh, Cole, Cole Horton. That's right. I, yeah. I think that's a wonderful idea. I like it. You're, you're a, you're a giving man. I love it. What what can I tell you? you know, that on the other hand, you know, all right, you know, I, I can be supportive of that, but I have been watching season seven of Star Wars Clone Wars, and mm-hmm. what do you think of this story arc that's going on right now? The one that that started with um, what was it? Gone with a trace. Uh, yes, with the Martez sisters. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, uh, I, I mean, I, I think uh, I understand that it's kind of received a mixed reception, uh, and this is the first show in or series of shows in the Clone Wars that actually features Ahsoka after leaving at the end of season five. Of course, we've seen her in Rebels and heard her in the Rise of Skywalker, but not actually seen her in the world of Clone Wars until this arc. And at first, I wasn't crazy about it. But then I heard Dave Filoni say on Clone Wars Download, which is featured every week on StarWars.com, that Ahsoka is sort of the the midway point between these two, whereas Trace is the young, optimistic, naive Ahsoka. Mm -hmm. The uh, the Rafa, the older sister, is much more cynical, jaded, uh, Mm -hmm. and certainly um, uh, much more of a seedy character. That could be where Ahsoka could go if she lets herself become embittered by the Jedi. So when I think of it that way, as these two are, are foils for Ahsoka, and Ahsoka is the fulcrum between the two, which is great because that's her code name of, in season one of Star Wars Rebels, then it works really, really well. And I actually liked Deal No Deal quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Okay. We've got a, another episode. What is it? Dangerous Dead. Yes. That, that, now that this caps off this this story thread or I don't think so. I think it's another, I think it's part three of four and cause I know CJ Mandler is going to be a four parter and that's going to end the whole series. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, I got there. All right. I'll trust your take on this. Cause again, you know, I just like, I, you know, it's one of those things you're watching something and you can, you, you, I, at this point I want to reach through the screen and strangle Rafa. And that's, <laughs> she's a she's a very frustrating character and does not think of her sister's best interest that's for sure okay now uh, we were just talking about ahsoka tana and um as part of this podcast have we talked about the rosaria dawson news about how she's been cast as the- uh you know what i don't i think that came out after we recorded last week okay and and i know now you are a huge fan of Ashley Eckstein, the, the the very talented voice actor who's, you know, how long has she been doing this character? And okay. oh gosh, ever since Clone Wars was a was a film, which was I think back in two thousand and six, probably two thousand six, two thousand seven. And uh, I know you and I have talked, you know, previously about this, you know, issue in, in kind of vague terms, you know, to the effect of, I think, you know, you know. <laughs> 
you're obviously in Ashley's corner, but at the same time, you know, have to respect the choices that, you know, what Filoni and crew have made. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I don't know, even know if I want to say I'm torn. I just think it's, it's unfortunate to a degree because I feel like Ashley was an actress uh, before she took on Ahsoka and she's acted another thing since then. And she's such a, a face of the brand. I would have liked to have seen her get a crack at this. And I have no idea about the inner workings or what happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also know that I trust Dave. Mm-hmm. And if he believes Rosario Dawson is, is the choice then okay, I'll, 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 I'll take a wait and see approach or attitude, but I would be lying if I didn't say that to me, Ahsoka and Ashley are sort of interchangeable. No, they're okay. like, they're, they're just, that's her. I mean, she, she's, I can't even have a better rep- representative of the brand. Okay. No, 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 I get that. Now, did you see the piece of concept art that dropped it a day or so ago of, of the, supposedly the version of Ahsoka we're going to get to see as part of Mandalorian oh. season two? No, I didn't. Yeah. It's, well, you, you have to chase this down because the thing is that it's got Ahsoka riding on the back of what looks to be, uh, you know, uh, what was the giant wolf creature from what Star Wars Rebels? Oh, the Loth Wolves. Yeah. It, it it looks to be a loath wolf, but, but the interesting thing is seated alongside her appears to be uh, Captain Rex. You're kidding. Is this official or is this like rumor stuff? This is the interesting thing. It was released in the, you know, and, and what's fascinating is that it was put out there um, along with, I, I, I'm sure you've heard that, that Michael Mann from, uh, the original Terminator film has also been cast in a role for season two, mm-hmm. but it has, uh, his character's costume design. So oh, wow. it, it's one of these things where it's like, you know, it suddenly went from, okay, this is intriguing to intriguing. Um, so and by the way, I I, I, I also want to um, stress here that there's been a lot of concern because, face it, since, uh, you know, the middle of last month when, uh, you know, uh, Governor Newsom of California uh, put out that um, order that, you know, they're from, I want to say from March 12th, um, that uh, no unessential gatherings of 250 people or more were allowed in the state of California. Uh, and, and obviously, you know, Dan, you've been on film sets. There are more than 250 people typically in a film set. Yeah. So, you know, there's a lot of stuff that got shut down. But the interesting thing is the Mandalorian literally shot, you know, completed shooting on March 9th. So they, they, you know, they, for, you know, through, 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 through just sheer luck, they, they missed that, sh- you know, that shutdown order. And now, mind you, uh, you know, Disney's had to ramp down production of g- that little, you know, that reimagining of the Little Mermaid that they do with live action that they're doing with uh, in London, and likewise Josh Gad's sort of extension of the original Honey I Shrunk uh, franchise. Shrunk your buddy, uh, Josh Gad. My buddy just got, yes. Um, but, uh, you know, but, you know, Mandalorian made it under the wire. And, uh, you know, I've been calling friends to check out, and it turns out effects work is um, is proceeding, but it's effects work where literally folks are at home on their laptops working on shots for, for the, you know, the production. So, uh, it, you know, it looks like the long story short, looks like the show's going to actually make its October delivery date 
for uh, Disney Springs. Um, but speaking of delivery dates, I'm, I, you know, people are trapped in their homes and, you know, going to the mailbox every day now, you know, Dan, you know, looking for that, that child, that baby Yoda, you know, that mm. they, they ordered. And uh, I, 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 I hate to break hearts here, but uh, I was talking with a friend at Disney Parks Products and Experiences, or is it Disney Parks Experience and Products? I forget which order the words are in. Um, but basically because of everything that's been going on in China, which is where a lot of the factories were that we're working on, um, the child baby Yoda stuff, and also what's going on with the ports right now with, you know, kind of so few people being able to staff. Uh, it's far more likely that these toys that were supposed to show up in April are, aren't, aren't going to make it till May. Um, so, you know, and, it, and again, so, you know, you, you, if you have a son and daughter who keeps going out to the mailbox looking for that box from Amazon, you, you might want to teach them for a while. Um, oh, uh, speaking of May, uh, it was 10 years ago this May that Star Wars fans learned that a reimagining of Star Tours at Disneyland Park and Disney's Hollywood Studios was in the works. Uh, this attraction would close for a year, but when it reopened in 2011, Star Tours, uh, now with a sort of subtitle, The, the Adventure Continues, um, would be an immersive 3D experience that would then take guests to different but still familiar parts of the Star Wars galaxy. Now, the reason I bring this up, Dan, is that um, to prepare for the, the attraction's grand imaginings, Star Tours uh, was supposed to close at Disneyland Park on July 27th of, of that year. And then, uh, but with the Disney's Hollywood Studios version closing on September 8th of 2010. Uh, but in order to make sure the most dedicated of Star Wars fans actually got the chance to say goodbye to this attraction, during Star Wars Celebration 5 in Orlando, uh, they had on August 14th, a last tour to Endor party. And I, I, I was wondering, Dan, did you make it to that event? Or? No, I wish. That was uh, kind of right before Coffee with Kenobi started, and I just wasn't able to make it, although I watched it feverishly. And I remember they did a special uh, Indiana Jones Epic Stunt Spectacular where at the end when the the Cairo Swordsman comes out, instead of the Cairo Swordsman, it was Darth Maul. Oh, very, you have to watch the video because I think George comes out at one point. Oh. Uh, pretty spectacular stuff. You'd love it. Pretty amazing. Oh, I'll have to check that out. Oh, man. Okay. Um, all right, folks. Uh, in a moment, uh, Dan and I got to take a look back at how the original Star Tours came together. Uh, more importantly, uh, because we, we sort of teased this on the last show, uh, Dan and I will talk about the Star Tours ride that we almost got on the heels of episode one, The Phantom Menace, back in 1999. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. 
Okay, uh, we're back, and um, you, you know, you, you just mentioned George Lucas turning up, you know, in the Indiana Jones uh, Epic Stunt Spectacular as part of that last uh, tour to Endor uh, uh, party, and I, I got to go chase down that video. That sounds amazing. Um, but I, I was lucky enough um, over the years. I've been lucky enough to talk with a number of folks who were associated with the original Star Tours, Mark Eads, uh, David Mumford, Bruce Gordon, uh, Tony Baxter. And <laughs> they, they talk about, uh, you know, this is the ride that they sort of built while they were waiting on Captain EO to get its crud together. You know, Captain, <laughs> Captain EO was, was a project that, you know, took two years uh, and, and frankly ate up a lot of bandwidth at Disney, uh, you know, but, you know, while they had George Lucas in the building, it, you know, and literally th this was the thing that the George is coming today to talk up to us about Captain EO and we have the simulator technology and can somebody, we want to pitch George on the idea of doing something in the, uh, you know, the star Wars universe. In fact, this, this, this was seriously Dan, this was the original pitch. It was, uh, tour bus through the universe. In fact, the name for a while of this attraction literally was Starbus, which again, we, we should be happy. they let that one go. Um, but you know, the whole notion is okay. So we're doing fly through adventures that are set in the star Wars universe, but George is coming in this morning. And so, you know, literally the four Imagineers who were set to work in this project, go into a conference room. They each take out, an eight by 11 piece of paper and quickly do a sketch. And they now have four images to show George and, you know, George comes in, he's there for the captain EO meeting. And by the way, this is, this is the technology we have. And this is the idea we're doing. And George looks at it and goes, yeah, okay, sure. And that's literally how, how star tours gets underway. Um, but you know, then it's a question of, okay, well, we got to build, a mock-up, which they, they, they build out of plywood, but then, you know, pay somebody an awful lot of money to paint to look like metal. Like, you know, but again, it's that creating that Star Wars used future aesthetic. Um, on the, but George was so enthusiastic about this project that, um, and, and, and again, Dan, picture this. The, the managers get invited up to Skywalker Ranch for a day. And they throw open the archives and it's like, here, take these back with you to Imagineering, you know, while you, you put together this attraction. And so they actually end up with one of the original C-3PO costumes. Um, and again, in fact, the interesting thing is that it's one of it, it, the, the Disneyland version of Star Tours um, at least for the first couple of years when the attraction was open, when you walked by C-3PO, that was an actual costume that was used in making the original trilogy. They just, they, they, they put it on top of, you know, a, an audio animatronic figure. And, and in fact, it was, it was kind of interesting when they first showed it to George because the R2-D2 uh, in the attraction, the original, was also, uh, you know, one that had been used in production. And George just stood there for a moment. And it's like, oh, my God. You know, it's like when we made the movies, you know, 
Kenny Baker was always, you know, you know, inside of, uh, you know, the, the R2-D2. Um, and likewise, Anthony Daniels was inside of the suit. This is the first time C-3PO and R2-D2 are actually robots. And that was kind of mind-blowing to George. Um, now, you know, on the other hand, they brought in Anthony Daniels, and I know you love this day because Anthony comes and, and then looks at the AA figure and it's like, he's too tall. You know, <laughs> that, you know, he, that he made a point of standing next to the, the a figure and sure enough, it's, it's about an inch too tall. It's like, no, 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 you're going to have to make it shorter, you know? And so, you know, that the Imagineers, cause they really wanted him to, you know, to be a consultant. Um, you know, they wanted this, C-3PO to be as real as possible or as faithful to his performance as possible. It's okay. And then he says, it's an inch too, too tall. Let's shorten it. Yeah, um, you would know. Yeah. But the interesting thing is Disney was so determined to make sure that this was as authentic as possible that the, again, the C-3PO in the original Disneyland version of Star Tours, as you come around the corner there and there's the Star Speeder 3000 in front of you, um, he's you know, again, he's gold plated, you know, from the film. So it's okay. We're going to get him gold plated. $16,000 worth of gold plating, Dan, you know, which wow. I, if I had known, I would have taken home an entirely different souvenir, you know? Um, but anyway, to, to get back to, you know, after they pitch it to George, uh, the question is, okay, so it's a flight simulator. We're going to do fly through adventures of the star Wars, uh, universe. You know, what, what are we doing? Are we taking, are we going to recreate, um, that moment from Jedi where, you know, the speed of bike is going through, you know, the redwood forest at Endor, or, you know, again, we can get a really fluid water movement out of this thing. Uh, should we maybe go to, back to Dagobah and maybe do an underwater adventure through the swamps and, um, they kept going back and forth on a lot of points. And in fact, for a time, um, they wanted the pilot, not necessarily to be a rookie, but, uh, uh this gun ho veteran from the clone wars, which again, given what we were just talking about with the clone wars animated series is, and, and captain Rex, it's, it's, it's kind of ironic. Um, but yeah, that they, they initially, you know, the, the model for this character, this to who at this point was called crazy Harry, Dan, um, <laughs> you know, uh, the notion was, well, what if he's like one of those Vietnam vets who's now doing helicopter tours in Hawaii and, you know, you climb on figuring you're going to do this, this, you know, this wonderful fly over the island and see greenery and, now you're in the hands of this this undependable, unpredictable guy who's crone to to dangerous stunts. And eventually the Imagineers realize, well, look, for an attraction but people we want them to, to rewrite it. Um you know, that the character really has to be more likable than that. So this is when they they sort of diverted to Rex and and made them uh, a rookie pilot who, you know, the, the reason he makes mistakes is he's getting nervous. It's, it's, it's his first flight. And so, you know, he, and that he sort of bumbles his way, uh, through the attraction, you know, the, the adventure we're having an attraction, but in the end, you know, proves himself to be heroic. And, um, 
Have you ever heard who they first went to for the voice of, of, of Rex, though? No, I haven't. <sighs> okay. You know the um, Journey into Imagination sure. track, right? Uh, oh, yeah. And these days, if you go on the ride, um, Figment is voiced by Dave Goles. He's the uh, voice of Gonzo from The Muppets. Um, but the original uh, voice of, of Figment was done uh, by Billy Barty, who uh, folks probably know, a very famous little person, uh, used to do a, a lot of work for Sid and Marty Croft. Um, in fact, he was the one who was <laughs> zippered inside of the Sigmund the Sea Monster costume and, you know, they, they, they ran around in that outfit. But um, so they bring Billy in, uh, you know, to do the voice because, you know, he'd done Figment. And it's like, you know, we enjoyed working with him. But at this point, Billy's in his 70s and they put him behind the mic and he doesn't sound like a rookie robot. He sounds like a salty old sea captain. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you know, and it's like we, we love, up, matey. Uh, and that's the thing. It's just sort of like, you know, we love working with guys, but he's the wrong voice uh, where I want to say it was Bruce Gordon who had gone into L.A. to see the groundlings and, um, you know, came back just raving about this guy he'd seen during the show who was doing this weird character who was supposed to be a kid show host, uh, Pee Wee Herman. And, you know, but, but the interesting thing is Imagineering hires Paul Rubens to come do the voice of, of Rex before Pee Wee really starts to break. It's before the Pee Wee movie. It's before the Pee Wee TV show. But, it, you know, and, and, and just a kind of a lucky coincidence, by the time the attraction opens in January of 87, Rubens is everywhere. So it's like, oh, you know, we, we, we're smart. Uh, you know, now, had you ever heard the actual backstory the the very first backstory that, that disney put out for star tours no i no i didn't oh okay um I, I swear to god folks this is this is how um if you you got online in in 1987 you quizzed a cast member about what is this and say oh well you know if you saw return of the jedi you know that the Rebel Alliance has finally triumphed over the evil empire, and the Star Wars, for now, are over, for the most part. Uh, rumors persist that there may be another Death Star out there orbiting somewhere off in the galaxy, but, but the Rebels, they want to rebuild their world in peace, and they've decided that an influx of adventurous tourists or potential homesteaders would be just the thing they need to revitalize their part of the galaxy. And what better way to bring in tourists than to offer them pleasure tours of the formal rebel and empire bases? And what better place to find tourists than at Disneyland? Um, and another weird little side note here, Dan. Uh, in the early scripts and storyboards for Star Tours, the Star Speeders actually took off from Disneyland. They, they, they'd fly out by, you know, you know, sort of banking by the Matterhorn and, You'd zoom over the castle and, you know, only then would you start, you know, to head up and, you know, disappear into the clouds. And, and, and what's interesting is that if, if you're a fan of old Disneyland, this is a throwback to the flight to the moon ride from the park, the opening day attraction for 55. Um, but the interesting thing is I think it was Michael Eisner himself who pointed out that, well, wait a minute. 
if we start the ride film off with scenes from Disneyland, this means this version of the show can't be used at other Disney theme parks in, in the years to come. And, and, you know, Eisner really wanted to franchise this one as quickly as possible. So it was like, okay. From that point forward, um, the Star Speeders would then blast off from an orbiting station, which um, I, I'm, I'm almost embarrassed to admit I didn't put together, Dan, till today. It was like, oh, yeah, they're out in space. That's okay. Uh, <laughs> I forgive you. All right. Uh, anyway, uh, according to Mark Eads, um, the original plan for Star Tours was every three years um, they'd create a new ride film. And with the idea that, you know, 10 years in, they'd then have, well, they had four different uh, simulators, uh, Star Pitters 3000 at Disneyland. And the idea was that 10 years in, every single one of the star speeders at Disneyland would be going to a different destination. Uh, and the, the, the four that had supposedly been picked were of course, Endor. Then we've seen the posters from, from that version of the attraction, Hoth, Tatooine and Dagobah. Um, but you know, according to Mark, because the line never died, uh, for the ride, there was just no need for a new ride film. Um, now, again, on, on our last looking at Lucasfilm, uh, Dan and I teased why it took so long to get a, a new ride film. Um, in fact, the, you know, uh, we didn't get uh, Star Tours, The Adventures Continue at Disneyland until May of 2011. And uh, it wasn't until June uh, of that same year, the Disney Hollywood Studios got its version. Uh, and by the way, you know, in fact, I think it's Brian J. Jones's book that, that, that bears this story out, but it was at the opening of the Disney Hollywood studios version of, uh, star tours, the adventures continue. Um, in fact, it was George and, and Bob Iger, uh, had gone to breakfast before, uh, the, the big grand opening media event in the center of the park. And they were at um, that recreation of the Brown Derby. And it was over that breakfast that Iger basically initially sort of pitched the idea that if George were ever going to sell uh, Lucasfilm, and, you know, particularly the, the Star Wars characters and that sort of thing, that, you know, he'd love to make a home for them at Disney. And, and George, you know, didn't necessarily say no, uh, and he basically said, you know, let me think about it. And, you know, a, a year or so later, we know what happened. Um, but, but that said, um, we could have gotten a new ride film for starters 12 years earlier. Um, in fact, as I've been told the story, it starts in 1998. Um, George's storyboard team is putting together the Padre scene for Phantom Menace. And, you know, as the, uh, the animatics come in, uh, you know, George looks at it and it's just sort of like, wow, this, this looks so much better than I thought I would. And in fact, this is, you know, good that we're taking the audience on quite a ride here. And it's just, and that sort of makes him think. And he calls down to, um, to Walt Disney Imagineering gets a hold of Tom Fitzgerald, who had been the show producer of the original Star Tours, and said, Hey, can you come up to Skywalker Ranch sometime next week? And so Tom goes up. Uh, George, you know, 
uh, you know, runs the work in progress effects footage uh, for the Padre sequence from Phantom Menace. Uh, he takes him down the hall and shows him, you know, the models of the other racers, you know, uh, you know, the storyboard art, concept art. And it's like, wouldn't this be a really cool update of Star Tours? And Tom agrees uh, and, you know, takes a selected amount of material back with him to uh, Imagining Headquarters in Glendale, California. And they work up a concept for uh, a new Star Tours ride film. And this is basically how that new ride experience was supposed to have gone. Um, so we, we entered the, the Star Tours terminal building. And, you know, as we, we make the, the turn and go start to walk past the Star Speeder 3000, the giant video screen makes us aware that we are, you know, no longer today we are not going to Endor. You know, our, our new destination is the Lunar Olympics, which are being held in Yavin. Um, and, you know, now the star speeds themselves look exactly like, you know, the ride vehicles we've been on previously, but, um, but these, you know, if you, if you go behind the scenes, significantly update, uh, you know, the, the, you know, the, the old, um, the flight simulator has been swapped out for the latest models. These would feature, uh, video flat screens, high def, uh, brand new audio and some pretty spectacular in-flight effects, which we'll get to in a minute. Um, but anyway, you, you, you climb into your star speed, you're seated, the screen comes down. Rex is no longer at the helm. You know, our, our, our pilot is a more seasoned veteran. In fact, um, this is really kind of, you know, crazy, hairy, you know, 2.0 Dan, um, and uh, what's kind of funny and kind of a nod to the original version of the ride is that as you're, uh, you know, headed toward the, your departure point from this orbiting station, the star speeder in, in 3000 in front of you makes a, you know, a, you know, a, a hard left makes that, that familiar wrong turn from the first version of the ride. And, you know, the, your pilot sort of turns his head and must be one of them new droids from sector seven. Uh, anyway, we remain on course. We launch out of the portal like we were always supposed to, but we now find ourselves in in formation. You know, of this this large group of star speeders that are waiting to be cleared to jump to light speed, and it just sort of, you know, we're told that it's going to be another twenty minutes, and it's just our pilot again turns around, and it's just like, wait a minute, I know a shortcut. And he veers off to the side, but, you know, when he comes out of the jump to light speed, he doesn't recognize anything around him. So he decides to take us down to um, the, the nearest planet to ask for directions from some locals. Um, but, you know, when he, he lands, we're in that stadium at, at, at Tatooine, uh, you know, uh, you know, where, you know, Jabba is presiding over the Padres. And as he chugs into line, a bunch of pit droids come over and he literally rolls down the window and is talking with the pit droids. But what he's not noticing as he's talking with the pit droids is the pit droids to either side of the vehicle are outfitting us with racing pods, you know, because it's like, well, you're in line here at, at the pod race. You must be about to compete. And then suddenly, you know, we, we get pushed to the front of the starting line before our pilot realizes what's going on. 
the pod race engines have kicked on and we're in the middle of the race. We're, we are zooming along. And not only that, we've, we've unfortunately caught the attention of Sebulba, the, the, the villainous pod racer from Phantom Menace, uh, who now is trying to, you know, um, <laughs> you know, uh, get us out of the competition. So, uh, he, he's pulling all sorts of maneuvers. At one point he, he tosses a bomb back at our star speeder, which causes the windshield to blow out. And remember, in this version, we're supposedly wearing racing goggles, 3D glasses. So we see all this glass seemingly fly into the car. And then he gets right in front of us and kicks on his afterburners. And and when I talked about the in-flight effects, one of the things you were going to feel was the sudden surge of heat because Sebulba's pod racer is in the windshield, seemingly blowing flame into our car. Um, now this fire effect takes out one of our, our pod race engines, uh, and we begin to free fall. But as we do so, we smack into Sebulba's pod racer and send him off a cliff and we make it back to the, the stadium where we started. Uh, we only do the one lap, you know, not if, if folks remember, the Phantom Menace, uh, Annie winds up doing what three laps, right, Dan? That that's that, how he wins the race. He, he yeah, it is three. It's three. Yeah. Uh, but yes, we 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 seemingly side slide sideways into uh, the stands, and that's what was really going to be intriguing about you know uh, this version of, of Star Tours was that. Uh, to really up the game and, and that sort of thing, you know, as the screen is going down, we see we're in the stands and we see some pretty angry fans because we've, of course, come up and unseated them and that sort of thing. But as the doors open and we go to go to the exit, there are four different animatronic race fans who are now basically heckling us like, hey, you ruined my time and, you know, you made me spill my drink and... And, you know, we walk by them down to the standard, uh, you know, Star Traders show experience. Uh, and, of course, by our brand new, you know, Star Tours pod racing edition souvenirs. Um, and, you know, but the interesting thing is during the time that it took to get this sort of all sussed out and boarded and uh, taken up to George, um George had gone back to Walt Disney World uh, with his family for a vacation. And it's interesting that you, you brought up um, uh, the Anna Jones Epic Stunt Spectacular because George took his family to, to, to watch the show and was very dismayed to see that a number of the key effects for the show just weren't working. And it was like, you know, Disney had made a promise to him when, when they initially created the show that, um, you know, that... <laughs> It, you know, they were going to keep it up and it was always going to be in, in great working condition. And, and George went home kind of miffed that, that Disney didn't seem to be holding up their end of the deal. And so when the Imagineers uh, went up to, you know, talk with George about, you know, okay, so, you know, ILM made the last ride film. Can you guys make the new ride film? And it's like, you know, maybe, maybe we want to hold off on doing this for a while. And, um, you know, and George's instincts were actually pretty much on the money because it wasn't a year or two later than suddenly Roy Disney launched 
the whole Save Disney movement and with the idea that he wanted to replace, you know, get force Michael Eisner out as the chairman and CEO of the Walt Disney Company, because Roy pretty much felt the same thing that, that you know, uh, Michael wasn't keeping up his end of the deal. And, you know, that was there was that fairly brutal shareholders meeting in Philadelphia uh, in, you know, the, the, the spring of 2004, where Michael was basically forced to give up his chairmanship. And it wasn't, what was it, 15 months later that he effectively you know, left the company. He stepped down as chairman in uh, you know, uh, September of 2005. And Bob Iger, uh, you know, uh, then you know, came on as the new head of the Mouse House. And one of the very first things he did was repair you know, uh, the company's relationship with George Lucas, which is how we eventually wound up with um, Star Wars, uh, the Avengers continue. But by then, George had a bigger, grander idea that why go to one new destination when we can go to dozens? And But we'll talk about that version of the attraction on another looking at Lucasfilm. Dun, so, dun, dun. Dun. Now, um, I, I have to ask, Dan, are you still doing the daily version of Kenobi, because you know we 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 had excellent uh, response and downloads, and people seem to like it. But I just kind of thought, you know, I'm giving people homework. <laughs> you know, I walk, I listen through the shows to, you just from an editing perspective, and I thought this is just a lot. When people have a lot of things going on, they're readjusting kind of to a new kind of a normal, at least for a while. And I thought I don't want to give people more homework. I want to give them an escape. So what I've done is. We're just doing a show a week, but and as bonus shows come up, I just put them out, and, and that's kind of happened. But to kind of supplant that and give it a little bit more of something for people to do, but have a sort of a different thing, where every Monday night, uh, let's see, for three weeks now, I've done Facebook Live, a Coffee with Kenobi Facebook Live at 8 o'clock p.m. Central Time. And every week we get more and more people. I've invested um, financially in sort of the production value on it, and then it's been an absolute blast. Wow. Okay. Well, you know, and I, I say this is a guy who's doing six different podcasts. That sounds like a lot of work. Um, it actually is. I took a long time to kind of figure and fine tune some of this stuff. I always work in progress, but again, I like to, I like to kind of push the envelope. Okay. Well, in addition to, you know, the, the Facebook thing and the, the standard coffee with Kenobi, where else can folks find you online? Sure. Well, you can find me personally on Twitter at Mr. Zer, M-R-Z-E-H-R, and, and some of you already do that, so I love I love chatting and interacting with everybody. You can find Coffee with Kenobi all over social media, Facebook, Pinterest, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. Um, again, Coffee with Kenobi is on all kinds of podcatchers, and uh, StarWars.com, I've been, doing, been a little bit more busy, and occasionally you'll see me on IGN as well. Oh, that is so cool. Um, and as I mentioned, the six different podcasts we do here, uh, so we got Disney dish. I do with Len Testa. We got, uh, marvelous Disney podcast that I do with Aaron Adams. It's about all the, the Marvel entertainment related things that, that Disney is up to these days. Uh, <laughs> we, we, we just talked about Drew Taylor a little bit ago and I, that's the, the gentleman I do the fine tuning. Uh, podcast with which yes again he he's written that wonderful the art of onward book yes a great book uh, and drew of course is a gentleman and a scholar i think he's he's often referred to that in social circles 
Uh, you and I travel in different social circles. <laughs> okay. uh, and we, we also have the Universal Joint podcast uh, that I do with Dustin Shoes. Uh, likewise, we have the I Want That uh, podcast that I do with Michelle Valladolid, which is about um, Disney merch. And, of course, the podcast you're listening to right now, Looking at Lucasfilm. Uh, tell you what, folks, if you could do Dan and I a favor – and if you get head over to iTunes and not only recommend this show, but also recommend uh, Coffee with Kenobi, uh, you know, that is very helpful when it comes to attracting additional listeners and additional eyeballs. Uh, by the way, though, if you really, really, really like what you're listening to right now, if you head over to Bandcamp and subscribe uh, to the uh, Jim Hill Media Podcast Network, that would be very helpful. Uh, likewise, Dan mentioned social media a moment ago. Uh, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram as Jim Hill Media and over at Facebook as Jim Hill Media News. I have no idea why. Um, but I guess at that for now, we'll do it, Dan. Uh, and, and again, again, folks, you know, you know, look again, everybody's dealing with the same stuff right now. You know, we're all in our houses and that's why, again, we're, we're, we're you know, hopefully, you know, Dan and I provide you with little entertainment, a, a distraction here. And, you know, we will try to stay in your corner in, you know, the weeks and months ahead. So, but like I said, if you can help us out here, if anybody got, for example, that target exclusive of the rise of Skywalker, uh, if you want to weigh in about, you know, whether it's worth it, you know, to get it for that gallery book and that, what is it, that 4K Ultra HD, you know, a, a version of the, we'd, we'd love to hear back from you. Um, but for now, I guess that'll do it, Dan. All right. Sounds good. Hey, may the force be with you, everybody. Stay healthy and safe.